Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me.
from New Orleans, Louisiana, where we're okay, thankfully. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't have a doctor's note or even a fake doctor's note, but I'm feeling good. I hope you are, too. Um, now let's... Uh, uh, warning, this is going to be a program that does not desist from uh, <laughs> frequent mentions of a name which uh, <laughs> inspires some laughter on my part. Um, and we'll start off with something <laughs> the president recently said. Americans want law and order. They demand law and order. They may not say it. They may not be talking about it, but that's what they want. Some of them don't even know that's what they want, but that's what they want. He's a mind reader, ladies and gentlemen, as long as he doesn't have to read his own. But let's compare that with this. Now, you know, I think, if you went to school in the United States, maybe not recently, but that um, one of the job, one of the main jobs of the Senate is to invi- advise and consent on presidential appointments and um, cabinet secretaries and uh, other high-ranking officials in the executive branch, political appointees, are subject to Senate confirmation. That's the way the system normally works. In this administration, there have been numberless appointees. I'm sure you know about Chad Wolf of the Department of Homeland Security. He's never been confirmed by the Senate. He's an acting secretary. And there used to be kind of a rule that you couldn't be enacting anything for more than limited amount of time because otherwise that would uh, kind of negate the Senate's power. Now, um, if the Senate were controlled by an opposition party to the president, you know they'd be screaming about it because it's a negation of Senate power, not a peep from the Republican Senate. In this particular case, William Perry Pendley. He's acting director of the Bureau of Land Management. That's the other BLM. He's been accused of seeking to sell off public lands to extractive industries. I wonder why. Because he came from extractive industries. He uh, said he has no intention of leaving his post, though, after a U.S. District Court judge deemed his tenure and ongoing occupation of the position, if freaking legal, illegal, said this week the judge's ruling has, quote, no impact, no impact whatsoever, unquote. I have the support of the president, he said, talking to the Wyoming Powell Tribune. It's a Powell and a Tribune. Quote, I have the support of the Secretary of the Interior, and my job is to get out and get things done to accomplish what the president wants to do, unquote. He's been acting director. He's been acting, not in the Guild, since July of last year when the Interior Secretary temporarily authorized him to the post. The uh, Bureau of Land Management, you know, maybe you don't, huge amount of land in the western United States is owned by the federal government. It manages public lands, does the BLM for conservation, as well as livestock grazing, permits to farmers to graze their livestock at much less than market value for the grazing rights, and resource extraction. 
President Trump formally proposed Penley for the post this past July, you know, for the Senate to confirm, and then withdrew the nomination after congressional Democrats indicated unanimous opposition to his appointment, and some Republicans seemed unlikely to support him owing to his, what the Guardian calls his, fringe views. I guess he likes curtains with fringe. Bentley has never been confirmed by the Senate again. After Montana's Democratic governor brought a case claiming that his service was unconstitutional, U.S. District Judge Brian Morris ruled two weeks ago Pendley had served unlawfully for the last 424 days. Why, that's more than a year. The judge prohibited him from acting as director and suggested that his decisions during his tenure be thrown out or reversed. Here come the judge. The Interior Department is going to appeal. In response to Pendley refusing to vacate his post, the Montana Senator John Tester, Democrat, accused him of a power grab, quote, in service of his long-held goal of selling off our lands and enriching his corporate allies, unquote. He's a former president of the Mountain States Legal Foundation, a litigation organization founded by uh, the Koch Foundation and ExxonMobil. Glad they're in the mix. Pendley boasts a deep background of legal advocacy for extractive resource industries on public lands. Give me that. I want to drill it. He has made light of killing endangered species. The Guardian obtained a recording from, 19, uh, from 2017 in which he told a group of North Carolina activists, quote, This is why way out west we say shoot, shovel, and shut up when it comes to the discovery of endangered species on your property. Unquote. Congressional Democrats also expressed concern with his views on social justice and racial inequality. He's mocked Native American land management practices and dismissed Black Lives Matter as based on a, quote, lie, unquote. No, no details on what he thinks is the lie. But it might be interesting to question him on that if he ever had a hearing, if he was ever up to Senate confirmation. But uh, he's ignoring the judge because Americans want law and order. They don't know it, and maybe they don't know that they're not getting it. And now, news of the warm, won't you? How many people are living in river deltas at high risk of experiencing flooding and other impacts from climate change? 31 million. It's according to a study by Indiana University researchers. They have a university in Indiana. Imagine that. To date, no one has successfully quantified the global population on river deltas and assessed the impacts. But um, this study has, since river deltas have long been recognized as hot spots of population growth, Really? I don't see a lot of new people here. And with increasing impacts from climate change, we realized we needed to properly quantify what the cumulative risks are in river deltas. As a result of a collaboration by Indiana University's Institute for Advanced Study, river deltas occupy six, sorry, 0.5% of the Earth's land surface, Yet they contain 4.5% of the global population. Well, that's all out of whack. 
total of 339 million people. They're highly prone to storm surges because they're at or below sea level, and storm surges are expected to occur more frequently, asked the folks in southwest Louisiana. For more on that, in the study, researchers analyzed these geographic regions, which include cities like New Orleans, Bangkok, and Shanghai. Hey, sister cities. Using a new global data set to determine how many people live on River Deltas. Well, I'll see you in mm, probably not Shanghai. Global warming is driving an unprecedented rise in sea temperatures, including in the Mediterranean, according to a major new report published by the peer-reviewed Journal of Operational Oceanography. I read it for the pictures. Data from the EU's Copernicus Marine Environment Monitoring Service will increase concerns about the threat to the world's seas and oceans from climate change, according to phys.org. The report reveals an overall trend globally of surface warming, surface warming of the seas, warming of the seas, based on evidence from 1993 to 2018. The largest rise is in, surprise, the Arctic. European seas experienced record high temperatures in 2018. That's uh, attributed to extreme weather conditions, a marine heat wave lasting several months. In the same year, a large mass of warm water occurred in the northeast Pacific, similar to a marine heat wave called the Blob, which was first detected in 2013 and had devastating effects on marine life. Now the study's authors are calling for improved monitoring to provide better data and knowledge. I said better data and knowledge. More data. More data. We need more data. Come on. More data. More data. Huh? Get some data for me. More data. More data. More data. We need more. More. Findings from the report confirm record rises in sea temperatures and changes to the ocean have impacted on these ocean ecosystem services and stretched them to unsustainable limits, says one of the editors of the report. More than ever, a long-term comprehensive and systematic monitoring assessment and reporting of the ocean is required. This is to ensure a sustainable science-based management of the ocean for societal benefit. Well, we've been doing okay without the science so far. I don't know why we would start now. Pteropods. They're wing-footed sea snails and slugs. That's what's for dinner. No, maybe more resilient to acidic oceans than previously thought. Yeah, maybe they are for dinner. By digging into their evolutionary history, the research team at the Okinawa Institute of Science and Technology, who knew, found pteropods are much older than expected. <laughs> well, I am too, but and survived past crises when the oceans became warmer and more acidic. Findings published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America. Okay? Good enough for you? That's a surprising turn of events, as these uh, enigmatic marine creatures are currently one of the most adversely affected by ocean acidification at the moment. They've been infamously called the canaries in a coal mine. They act as an early warning signal for increased ocean acidity, said the senior author of the study. And ocean acidification, as you know, is one of the consequences of climate change. When uh, CO2 dissolves in the ocean, pteropods are particularly vulnerable due to their uh, aragonite shell. That's not a, that's not a cult. 
just a, a chemical thing, over time has evolved to be thin and lightweight to suit their planktonic lifestyle. I aspire to a planktonic lifestyle, just hanging around. Aragonite is a highly soluble form of calcium carbonate. When conditions in the ocean are too acidic, these fragile shells can completely dissolve. Well, that's a bad way to go. So pteropods will likely be seriously threatened as oceans acidify. And um, experimental studies are already testing the ability of these creatures to adapt to oceans as they become fuller of carbon dioxide. But now this study of their evolutionary history says they may be more resilient than they thought. No, than we thought. They knew all along. They're just fulfilling their planktonic lifestyle. The richest 1% of people are responsible for more than twice as much carbon pollution as the poorest half of the world's population. New research showed recently. This reported by Agence France Proche. Despite a sharp a decrease in carbon emissions due to the pandemic, the world remains on pace to warm several degrees this century, threatening poor and developing nations with the full gamou, as they say in France, don't they? I don't think they do, of natural disasters. An analysis led by Oxfam showed that between 1990 and 2015, that's a period when annual emissions ballooned 60%, rich nations were responsible for depleting nearly a third of the Earth's carbon budget. That's the limit of cumulative greenhouse gas, gas, gas emissions mankind may produce before rendering catastrophic temperature rises unavoidable. 63 million people, the 1%, took up 9% of the carbon budget since 1990, highlighting an ever-widening carbon inequality in addition to all the others. The analysis said the growth rate of the 1%'s emissions was three times that of the poorest half of humanity. It's not just that extreme economic inequality is divisive in our societies. It's not just that it slows the rate of poverty reductions, says Tim Gore, head of policy advocacy and research for the uh, Oxfam study. But there's also a third cost, which is that it depletes the carbon budget solely for the purpose of the already affluent growing their consumption. And that has the worst impacts on the poorest and least responsible. Emissions have continued to rise since the 2015 Paris Climate Accord. Maybe we need an accordion instead and this year, Arctic sea ice shrank to the second lowest extent in more than 40 years of satellite measurements, according to nature.com. Uh, Mid-September, ice covered just three and three-quarter million square, well, forget kilometers, 1.4 million mi square miles of Arctic waters. That would be its annual summer minimum. In only one other year, 2012, has the annual minimum Arctic sea ice drop below one and a half million square miles. In my lifetime, the sea ice at the end, this is not me talking. Well, it is me talking, but I, I, this is a quote. In my lifetime, the sea ice at the end of summer has decreased by 50%. Talking is Cecilia Bitts, an atmospheric scientist at the University of Washington in Seattle. As global temperatures rise, the minimum Arctic sea ice extent has shrunk by an average of 13.5% per decade since 1979. The ice that remains is often thinner. Like the, uh, like the sea creatures' aragonite shells. It's all getting thinner, ladies and gentlemen, and more fragile, making it more vulnerable to melting the following year. 
unless the ice has been around as long as the, uh, well, has been enjoying a planktonic lifestyle, let's put it that way. It's news of the warm. And it is very, very much a copyrighted feature of this particular broadcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we continue with news of a smart, smart world. You know what ShotSpotter is? ShotSpotter is a gunfire detection surveillance thing. San Diego is nearing its end of its $1 million four-year contract with ShotSpotter. City officials are reconsidering it since it hasn't lived up to its promise, which is why we're talking about it here. Over 100 cities in the United States have partnered with ShotSpotter to integrate those sensors into their wider surveillance networks. In November 2016, Sandia became one of the first. Now the San Diego Police Department has to decide whether it's worth the cost. At least one officer who oversees the sergeant in charge of spot shot spotter technology doesn't think so. The um, police department is going to review all relevant crime statistics and work with elected officials to see if ShotSpotter is still in the community's best interest. There's um, background to this, of course. The sensors were exclusively installed on street lights and electric poles in four neighborhoods in San Diego. Those were deemed by the police department at the time to have among the highest rates of gun crime in the county. The sensors were pitched as an effective tool for law enforcement. But a review by Voice of San Diego, it's a uh, local publication, of available data on the accuracy of the sensor suggests the technology is not living up to the company's own selling points. On its website, ShotSpotter claims that only 20% of gunfire incidents on average are called into 911 across the country. The company says its technology picks up 90% of all gunshots within one minute and can decipher the location of those shots within about 80 feet. Stated goal is to allow police officers to respond to a gunfire incident without waiting for a call from a member of the community. ShotSpot Senior Vice President of Marketing, Sam Klepper, praised the company's self-proclaimed ability to detect gunfire even further. We have a 97% accuracy rate with a very small false positive rate of 0.5%, he said. Citing the company's review of last year's data from every city it works with, the data could not be independently verified, so you got to trust the marketing guy, don't you? Don't you? The 0.5% false positive rate, Klepper says, refers to any time there was an acoustic event picked up by a sensor that didn't turn out to be gunshot. Like a door slamming. Or a window slamming. Or something else slamming. You know. But they don't... Oh, that doesn't fool shots about her. Don't you go, don't you go there, girlfriend. But that statistic doesn't square with police data obtained by the Voice of San Diego from a California Public Records Act request. The data covers all 584 times that shot, spider, shot spotter devices were a- activated, meaning an audio sensor picked up what it determined was a gunshot. That's uh, in the last kind of three and a half years. 
The police have made two arrests responding to an activation. Says the police department, he could only confirm that one of these arrests was directly related to the shot spotter activation. No more information available. 72 of the 584 shot spotter activations were considered unfounded by the police department. Officers either falsely were alerted to a gunshot or they couldn't find any evidence of it. Noises from a jackhammer, a nail gun, or a standard hammer could mirror gunfire to a shot spotter sensor. So the real unfounded rate stands at 12.3% between the four neighborhoods. That's uh, 25 times higher than Mr. Klepper was offering. When shown the police department's data, Klepper said shot spotter's number is based on a national average. The company relies on individual police departments to report any instances of false positives. The uh, technology is also marketed as a way for officers to gather physical evidence at potential crime scenes. How often this happens, however, is unclear. Both the police department and ShotSpotter declined to release any specific information about evidence collection. University of Pennsylvania professor Oscar Gandhi, Jr., specializes in the information sciences of policing and technology. He reviewed the data. He raised doubts about the community benefits of the sensors. He called into question the use of police resources on ShotSpotter, considering how often officers are dispatched to a potential crime scene and produce or collect nothing. Cornelius Bowser, a gun violence prevention activist, said the gang members in southeastern San Diego, whom he works with, aren't phased by the presence of the audio sensors. They're not worried about no shot spotters, he said. It don't deter them, that's for sure. They're more concerned with surveillance cameras and getting their pictures taken than they are with audio sensors. Jennifer Dolenk, sorry, Doliak, founder of the Justice Tech Lab, assistant professor of public policy at the University of Virginia, has written about ShotSpotter, says it's still unclear after many years of police departments using the technology whether it has any effect at all. ShotSpotter has resisted attempts by me and others to do a rigorous evaluation of its impacts. They've clearly found they can get cities to sign their contracts without such evidence. Klepper says the company is happy to work with researchers and has been doing so. In March, the San Diego Union-Tribune, it's both a union and a tribune, reported that San Diego had seen a 17% reduction in gunfire incidents from 2018 to 2019. That was pulled from a study the company conducted internally and can't be independently verified. So put a shot spotter on it. And artificial intelligence software designed to monitor students by webcam as they take their tests as they're, you know, virtual. That would be to detect any attempts at cheating. Sometimes fails to identify the students due to their skin color. This is from the register. Products like ExamSoft are being used by colleges and other organizations to make sure students aren't cheating. It's impossible to cram large numbers of students in one room and invigilate them right now, according to the register. They speak the English English, invigilate. The algorithms pick up things like glances to something off-screen, a sign you're looking up the answers elsewhere or relying on notes. These solutions tend to be unable and detect monitor 
people of color, believing that the lighting is too low, for example. A law graduate taking a New York bar mock exam, invigilated by exam soft, complained to the software maker that the AI couldn't identify his face. He was told to sit directly in front of a lighting source such as a lamp. Even when he did so, the software still failed to detect him. Quote, I'm a brown person with a beard. I do not believe my features are particularly anomalous. I cannot imagine any larger disaster than spending the last four months of my life unemployed and uninsured during a global pandemic in order to study for an exam that I cannot take on exam day because of this technology, which he described as racist. It's just a smart world, that's all. That's all it is. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we uh, are in a situation where we're not really hearing from the White House physician anymore. He's not coming out and with a bunch of white coats behind him and having press conferences. What a loss to the world. He's now just issuing statements that don't do a lot of stating. But we do have, fortunately, thanks to television interviews on Fox, the president's own diagnosis of himself. I, I'm back because I'm a perfect physical specimen and I'm extremely young. And uh, <laughs> so I'm lucky in that way. Uh, and, and, how, and, you know, seriously, was, what were your I symptoms? don't have any, I don't have heart problems. I don't have diabetes. I don't have any of the problems that you read about. Perhaps a couple of pounds we could lose here and there, but, you know, there's a lot of people in that category. But no, I'm in good health and but I'll be tested very soon, but I'm, I'm essentially very clean. I tested negative once or twice. Tested positive too. Then I discovered some miracle drugs. One day soon I'll share them with you. I could have left the hospital the very next day. The doctors were being mean. They didn't believe me when I told them I'm cured. Pointed out to them that I'm very clean. A houndstooth is a cesspool of total filth. A slate is as foul as can be. A bill of health can just be ignored. But nothing's very clean like me. I climbed the stairs up to the balcony No one could have breathed better Stayed out there till well after dark Didn't even need a sweater I'm a perfect physical specimen Just a few dozen pounds short of lean God blessed me with this deadly disease Cause he knows, yeah, God knows I'm very clean A whistle, it's full of saliva It's a dirty little machine I'm like the gal called Godiva I'm very freaking clean 
No need for me to quarantine, it's too damn close to Halloween. No one's very clean like me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Le Show from New Orleans, and now it's a battle between the Beats and the Bees. Beats with two E's, of course. Not uh, Dr. Not to, not to Dre's. Uh, uh, beats. Beats and Bees. European Court of Justice has ruled that France's ban of neonicotinoid pesticides, those are the ones that are considered harmful to bees, is legal. But... France is considering softening the legislation after objections from beet farmers. Wasn't that a it was a San Diego band called the beet farmers, I believe. The European Court of Justice this week found that France did not violate EU rules when it banned the neonics. The uh, battle between the French Crop Protection Association and France goes back a couple of years when the government banned the neonics. That placed France at the forefront of a campaign against the chemicals blamed for decimating crop-pollinating bees. Maybe uh, maybe we could use the, 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 the uh, flies, that uh, one of which landed on uh, Mike Pence's head. To poll- maybe he was pollinating. Maybe he's pollinating Mike Pence's head. With its ban on five neonicotinoids outdoors and in greenhouses, France went further than the European Union, which only outlawed them in crop fields. Opponents of the ban say it prevents farmers from protecting their sugar beet crops, which have been decimated. Well, actually, this is about sugar, not beets. 
I know, but it made for such a good headline. Which have been decimated by an infestation of green aphids. She wore green aphids. I wish Orion Samuelson were around to talk about some green aphids right about now. Sugar beet farmers argue that neonicotinoid chemicals are the only solution to battling green aphids. And the green aphids agree. The Crop Protection Association brought the case to court, arguing that the French decree was incompatible with the European Union regulation. But the French government has any, anyhow rode back on parts of the ban following pressure by beetroot growers. Now they're saying beetroot, which is different from sugar beets. I don't know. i got to blame Deutsche Welle where this comes from. There's no Welle like the Deutsche Welle. Anyway, beets versus bees. I'll say it again. And now... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol III. Tokyo Olympic organizers say they found cost savings of about $280 million just by simplifying and cutting some frills from next year's postponed games. We love the frills. This report came as the International Olympic Committee Executive Board met online with Japanese officials this week, and it's reported by ABC. Savings represent about 2% of the official Tokyo budget, $12.6 billion. But a national audit last year indicated the real cost might be twice as high. And the University of Oxford published a study, study last month saying Tokyo is the most expensive summer games on record. Gakuji Ito, chief financial officer of the Tokyo Olympics, acknowledged the cost savings figure was only an estimate. How we calculated the cost reductions is something that is unprecedented, and it is an initiative no one has ever experienced, he said. From an administrative perspective, we struggled hard. Fifty pr- proposed cuts were listed on a detailed document. Changes in equipment, reconfiguring venues, fewer decorative banners, a 10% reduction in stakeholders' delegation sizes, fewer shuttle buses. You can walk. You're an athlete. Reduction in hospitality areas. Suspension in production of mascot costumes. You could save more on that, I think. And cancellation of official team welcome ceremonies. No cuts for the number of sports or the number of competitors. Also largely untouched, the opening and closing ceremonies, the heavily sponsored relay, torch relay, and competition areas that will be seen on television. Still no word on how much the delay is costing. We apologize, but we believe it would be misleading to announce the additional costs, Ito said when asked. He hopes to give some type of information on this by the end of the year. You know, when Joe Biden will say how he stands on court packing. An advisor to the government on ste- Japanese government on steps to contain the danger of the coronavirus infections at the Olympics says the public should be prepared to see some spike in cases as a result of the mass gatherings. The Olympics present one of the most difficult situations when it comes to infectious disease prevention, says Nobuhiko Okabe, heading the Kawasaki Institute of Public Health. He told that to Kyoto News, it's a cluster of risks with people gathering from all over the world. 
He's an expert on infectious disease control. As long as the games are held, we have to make people understand that the number of infections will likely increase. He's an advisor to the panel jointly formed by the central government, Tokyo government, and Tokyo Olympic Committee. The assumption of the committee is that the global spread of the virus would not be entirely contained before the Olympics begin next summer. He said, while the best way to avoid an outbreak of infections is to not hold the games, quote, there's no sense now in debating endlessly about whether to hold them. Infections cannot be reduced to zero. That's the information we experts have to convey. The collapse of the country's healthcare system at any place must be avoided at all costs. So what? So you get sick. It goes away. It's the Olympics. And you know, it's a movement. And we all need one every day. And there is another Olympic story. It's too too grim, really, I think, for a musical background. That's just me. I'm that kind of guy, you know. I feel things too much. Uh, Dayline Geneva, the IOC, denied claims this week that its president, Thomas Bach, intervened to help steer an Olympic official implicated in corruption, steer that official away from France, because that's where the corruption is being investigated. The German daily, Süddeutsche Zeitung's suggestion that Bach contradicted a regular promise to cooperate fully with prosecutors in Paris running sports-related cases, was wrong, according to the Olympic Committee, which is defending its president. you got to do that. you got to defend your president. The newspaper published part of a statement by former IOC member Frank Fredericks saying Bach believed, quote, he should be careful not to go to France, unquote, when an alleged bribe payment was first reported three years ago. Payment to Fredericks. He was charged by French financial prosecutors over a $299,000 payment he got on the day when IOC members picked Rio for the 2016 election, uh, elections, Olympics. Which would you rather have, an Olympics or an election? Days after the payment was revealed, four-time Olympic silver medalist Fredericks was stood down by the IOC from his duties, including leading a panel assessing the 2024 Olympic bidders. See, that's what happens when you're a silver, silver medalist. You get stood down. Between the first media report and the, his provisional ban, Frederick spoke by telephone with Bach and later the IOC chief ethics officer, according to the newspaper. The ethics officer told me that the President Bach called her to inform her, I'm planning to fly to Europe and I should be careful not to go to France, Fredericks wrote of the return call he made from his home country, Namibia, where Ronnie Pudding is to this day. The IOC gave a different explanation to the newspaper's interpretation. There was no order from the president, but the ethics officer advised Mr. Fredericks not to continue in his preparations for the uh, IOC visit to Paris while these allegations were pending. Payment is alleged to have originated from a Brazilian businessman, then transferred to Fredericks by Papa Masada Diak, 
Yes, him again. His father, longtime former IOC member, the Diocs were both convicted last month in Paris on corruption charges. Clean, yeah, they're very clean too. It's all, it's all too clean. And now, no known connection. The apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Morgan Wallen is speaking out to his fans and apologizing. The rising country crooner, since you asked, took to Instagram to address his controversial decision to flout COVID safety protocols at a party over the weekend. That led to the cancellation of his upcoming appearance on Saturday Night Live. I got a call from the show to let me know I'd no longer be able to play, he said, in an emotional video. I'd be emotional, too. Different emotion. It's due to COVID protocols, which I understand. I'm not positive for COVID, but my actions this past weekend were pretty short-sighted, and they've obviously affected my long-term goal and my dreams. He says he respects the show's decision because I know that I put them in jeopardy, and I take ownership of this. I apologize to SNL, to my fans, to my team for bringing me these opportunities, and I let them down. On a personal note, I think I have some growing up to do. Yeah. Dream bigger, babe. Dateline, Iota, Louisiana. I said, Iota. Um, Iota Police Chief Damon Daigle. I said, Damon Daigle. Said he was fed up from writing so many tickets to motorists. So he took to Facebook and shared his thoughts. He said this was a mistake and regrets his decision to post. Here's the post he made. Quote, to all the... Titty babies who think they can stop in the middle of the road, bite me, enjoy your tickets. Unquote. This post has been making its way around social media from angry residents in the area. It's made on the, his alias Facebook account, saying it was his alternate ego. Things that day just boiled over, and it was like, like I said, done out of frustration. I shouldn't have done it. He said people just aren't following the law when it comes to blocking the road in front of Iota Elementary School. So there's at least one iota. I'm sorry. I don't expect to make everyone happy. I'm brash. I'm forward. I believe in getting the job done, he said. People have been blocking the road near the Chick-fil-A. Well, Daigle offered an alternate solution, saying if the line is too long to pick up students, parents should wait near the baseball field for a few minutes and come back. During an interview, Daigle dubbed himself the Donald Trump of Louisiana law enforcement. He apologized for his post and said, I'm not trying to divide this town. I've given my blood and soul to this town. He does not plan on running again for the position. Needs the blood. Soul you can have. Dayland, Birmingham, Alabama, Governor Kay Ivey has apologized to a survivor of a racist 1963 church bomb that killed four black girls, calling the blast an egregious injustice. She declined to pay restitution without the involvement of the legislature. The defense minister of Colombia, Colombia, not Jose Valdez, apologized for the violent crackdown on peaceful protests in November last year. He did this after a 
Court in Bogota gave him 24 hours to comply with a Supreme Court order. Carlos Holmes Trujillo apologized for the police brutality. He was called to appear over a motion of no confidence filed by the opposition in Congress. While defending his time in office, the minister asked forgiveness for the acts committed by the mobile anti-riot squads of the national police during the protests going on in the country last November, as ordered by the Supreme Court last month. He initially said he'd already complied with the court order before it was issued, claiming an apology for police brutality on September 9th, quote, referred to any violation of the law, of any law, any time. A blanket apology. Thank you, Tom. Cardi B, so-called, because it's, uh, was it her or her father was a fan of Bacardi? I know somebody who would know. Cardi B posted a series of heartfelt apologies this week after she received harsh backlash for promoting a virtual fundraiser for Armenia that led to suggestions that she was supporting terrorism. In an Instagram post, the rapper reportedly boosted an upcoming event scheduled to air in Southern California this weekend, which led some angry commenters to start a hashtag Cardi B supports terrorism. Since the dissolution of the Soviet Union, Armenia and Azerbaijan have been involved in an ethnic and territorial conflict, which you may know has boiled over in armed hostilities in the last couple of weeks in the region of Nagorno-Karabakh. The uh, two nations are arguing over that region. How many times I got to say the same effing S for clout? What effing clout? I did it for a friend and I woke up getting attacked, she tweeted along with the video in which she explains that she and a strange husband offset promoted the event because a business advisor suggested they support it. I didn't do my research. I'm sorry. I didn't. I don't know what was going on. I just want peace. I apologize, and I'm still getting attacked. Unquote Cardi B. Dadeline Greensboro, North Carolina, a city council in North Carolina has approved a resolution which apologizes for the shooting deaths of five demonstrators at a 1979 rally against the Ku Klux Klan, Ku Klux Klan and the American Nazi Party. The city council voted 7-2. to two to approve the resolution, which says in part the city admits the police department neglected to act on knowledge it had that the Nazis and Klan were planning violence, according to the News and Record of Greenboro. This apology is 41 years too late, Councilwoman Michelle Kennedy said, on behalf of the five-year-old kid I was then. I'm sorry for what the city of Greensboro failed to do on that day and for the things that we did. There's nothing in my professional life or in my adult life that means more to me than saying what we are saying tonight. And the only thing I regret is that it didn't happen 41 years ago. The resolution, unquote, the resolution also creates a scholarship for five high school students in memory of the five who died. Juries acquitted several people of killing the protesters and wounding others. A subsequent civil case found six members of the Klan and Nazi Party and two Greensboro police officers liable for wrongful death. Kind of like the OJ deal. The Bishop of Carlisle, this is in the UK, has apologized for giving a character reference to a former Cambrian clergyman convicted of sexually abusing two young girls. Church of England is now investigating why Bishop James Newcomb provided the reference for former Carlisle Cathedral canon Robert Bailey. Last week, Bailey was handed an eight-year jail term for the child sex 
assaults. 67-year-old Bishop has now withdrawn his reference, issued a heartfelt apology, and vowed to learn from the internal church investigation, which is now underway. The Church of England, speaking of which, failed to protect children from sexual predators within its ranks for decades, allowing abusers to hide and attempt to defend its own reputation rather than following its duty to protect young people. That's according to an inquiry issued this week, independent inquiry into child sexual abuse, appropriately enough. The church apologized for the abuse and said it would learn lessons from the inquiry, just like that bishop. From the 1940s to 2018, 390 people who were clergy or in positions of trust associated with the church have been convicted of sexual offenses against children. Think of the children. Over many decades, the Church of England failed to protect children and young people from sexual abusers, instead facilitating a culture where perpetrators could hide and victims faced barriers to disclosure that many could not overcome, according to the chair of the inquiry. If real and lasting changes are to be made, it's vital the church improves the way it responds to allegations from victims and survivors and provides proper support for those victims over time. The chair added, primary concern of many senior clergy was uphold the church's reputation. Why, that's just like the... And the... A woman who was told she could not board her flight due to the way she was dressed has received an apology from Southwest Airlines after the video of the encounter went viral online. Kayla Eubanks was wearing a black halter top. Staff at the boarding gate refused to let her on the scheduled flight because she was in breach of the airline's dress code. Lewd, obscene, and offensive. These were the words of choice, she said. Spokesman for the airline said it apologized directly and issued Eubanks a refund as a gesture of goodwill. She would have gone for a different look, she said, but on this occasion she chose to wear a halter top because she was going to Chicago, where it was 77 degrees when she landed. I think they need to update the policy, she said. I think that as a woman, specifically a black woman, my body is constantly policed and over-sexualized, and that's not fair to me, she said. Philadelphia Eagles linebacker Nathan Jerry apologized on Thursday after several old social media posts in which he used racist language language were resurfaced. He said he was disappointed in myself and downright sick over tweets dating back to 2011 and 2012 in which he used variations of the N-word. I take full accountability and apologize to the organizations, to my teammates and fans, our community, and everyone who I have offended by these incredibly insensitive and harmful posts. He was 16 and 17 when he published the posts. The eagle has landed. And Davenport, Iowa, for the first time since more than three dozen Iowa football players came forward with accusations of racial disparity within the Iowa football program. Offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz says, I am deeply sorry and I offer a sincere apology. He is the son of the head coach. That's not how he got his... The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen. It is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. and we're not hearing you. I'll play something. Ladies and gentlemen, this is... Um, there's not enough time to play it. Excellent. I'll share with you a few more items then from the Dominion file. The dodo has nestled itself into our conscience as the first prominent example of human-driven extinction. But in fact, we couldn't be more wrong. 
says a paleontologist and research associate with the National History Museum in the U.K. He's devoted a portion of his career to correcting the dodo's dismal reputation. Draws an altogether different picture of a bird that was faster, more athletic, and far brainier than popular culture has led us to believe. Nothing like this big, fat, bulgy thing that was just waddling around. The bird was super adapted to the environment of Mauritius. Instead, humans' unrelenting exploitation was the real culprit behind the dodo's untimely death. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we've got dominion. And here comes our music. Thanks to Thomas Walsh. But you wanted to know that about the dodo, didn't you? it for this edition of the show back next week at the same time on these radio stations on your audio device of choice whenever you want it. Be just like having the music. Be greeted for me then. Would you already thank you very much all? Huh? Give a little show chapeau to the San Diego Dust to Pam Halstead and to Thomas the Button Walsh here at WWNO for their help with today's broadcast. Email address for the thing. Your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts and the playlist of the music heard here on all at harryshare.com. The show comes to you through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station, the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the Crescent City. <laughs>